Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's good, everybody? You know what time it is. Inside the Green Room with Danny Green. I'm Harrison Sanford. Quick Thursday show for you guys. Going to recap a couple of things that caught our attention in the National Basketball Association. And we're going to break down the Eastern Conference as we get closer and closer to playoff time. But first and foremost, Danny, uh, we talked about it briefly when uh, I we did the last show when I was coming back from the Knicks and Pistons game. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy with how the game ended. Monty uh-huh. Williams wasn't too happy. <laughs> we found out on Wednesday that the Knicks protest in the game that they played against the Houston Rockets was actually denied. And I wonder why it was denied, seeing as though the Knicks kind of stole a win at home earlier this week. Uh, but all in all, Danny, we've seen a lot of players. We've seen a lot of coaches really upset and vocal about their displeasure about the state of officiating in the NBA so far this season. What can be done to fix it? Because it feels like it is a big problem. Yeah. Luckily I'm able to speak on it right now because I'm not playing with anybody. (laughs) Just kind of speak freely, but I still won't, uh, you know, go too crazy on them. And that's that I have no reason to, because they haven't done anything to me this year, but it seems like each year is the same thing. You know, over and over, people, teams, guys are complaining. Um, they want to change certain rules, certain laws. The review it seems like they still look at it and kind of screw it up. Um, I think they should add a fourth ref, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I think that's the only solution I can think of. And there should be, you know, be able to have one challenge a half, regardless if you win or not. You know, I think the two challenges help because um, there's certain calls that that should not be missed. There's certain calls that should not be messed up. You know what I'm saying? And it should have an unbiased. Uh, I don't know, maybe referee or somebody from the league watching to be able to chime in on these calls that they're reviewing, especially at the end of games, because some of the, the calls that said they, they still review and, and still get it wrong, it's in my eyes, I guess the fans' eyes, um, is unacceptable, especially for a team like team like Detroit can't be cheated. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not a team that mm-hmm. can afford to be cheated out of a game. So there should be certain ways to challenge. I don't know if there's like a, a challenge to play, a challenge to flag, or you know, after the timeout have a review on something, but after a play has happened, it's hard to do that. You know, they missed the foul call. Um, also, so people sp- speak about how referees are fine, but we never know about it. Why is it not public information? It's public information when the players are fine. I think that will put people and fans and the players more at ease or feel a little mm. bit better, more justified if they know for sure, because we don't know for sure somebody got fined. We don't know for sure. They, made it. they put out a two-minute rule sometimes. Oh, they made a mistake here and there, but some of these mistakes can't be made. There has to be some penalization that we know about. We just hear about it in the meetings that we have with the referees. And that's, that's not enough for, for these guys and for these coaches. 
Yeah, I think you're definitely on the mark there. I don't see why the uh, the NBA wouldn't add another referee. The, the the way the game is now, it's so much faster. The athletes are bigger. They're stronger. The, af- the athleticism is out the charts. Add another referee and maybe just keep them stationed at half court and maybe they could just help oversee the game uh, and obviously give another set of eyes. And as much as I hate when they take too long to review things, if you get it right, it's all good. Just don't review and still get it wrong. So those are just some of the things that have to be implemented for sure. And Adam Silver did note during uh, All-Star Weekend when he had his uh, media availability that a lot of the older refs have now retired and left the game. So it's a new, newer breed of refs. And so obviously it's going to be a lot harder for them to earn the respect of coaches and players because they don't have as much longevity in the league. So them learning how to deal with the personalities of an aggravated superstar or a frustrated coach, these are all things that are going to get learned over time and hopefully it gets better. But as it stands right now, people are not happy and it is evident for everybody to see. So let's just hope that it gets better. And I'm of the mindset, Danny, as soon as we get to the playoffs, you can add the fourth referee because you're going to have a lot of referees just sitting on the couch anyway because it's not as many games. I don't mind it at all. As long as they don't interfere with players going up and down the court, it doesn't bother me, and I don't think it would bother the players or coaches either as long as they get it right. Uh, Speaking of coaches, let's talk about – so we talked about Monty Williams being upset about the Mm -hmm. call that happened at Madison Square Garden, and he's somebody who's, regardless of his record, Danny, paid out. And there's another coach who just got paid, Steve Kerr, who's now going to be on contract uh, with the Golden State Warriors at the signing extension that will allow him to basically get over $17 million per season to mm-hmm. coach a Golden State Warriors team, Danny. That's not a title contender. Can they win a playoff series here or there? Maybe at best, but they're not winning the title. I, not I this year. Re- I just want your reaction to – obviously, he's on contract. Uh, basically through the entirety of Steph Curry's or the remainder of Steph Curry's contract. But, bruh, $17 million is a lot of money for a head coach in this economy when that team isn't even guaranteed to be a playoff team, Danny. Well, I mean, you got to look at the contracts that Spo just signed, Monty, Mm -hmm. who said Pop. If you're going to sign a championship coach to an extension, it's got to be those type of numbers. So I'm not shocked by the numbers. I am shocked by, I guess, the extension at the, the point that they did it uh, because they said they're not winning. They're not a contender this year. But that doesn't mean they can't get back to – all it takes is a couple of moves to get those three guys in a fit or a system or add a couple pieces to make them in contention. Now, I don't think they're going to win a championship, but they can be a real threat. So if you keep those three guys, Coach Kerr, and you add a couple of young pieces around them, that could still be a pretty good group. Uh, also, this could be just a farewell, thank you, you know, type of thing. I mean, to pay Draymond, I would love to see them pay Clay and have those guys finish out their careers there as most most fans would like to see. You want to see most greats, most, most great teams not be broken up uh, the way Chicago was broken up, you know what I'm saying, or other teams have been broken up in the past. You would like to see them kind of, even if, it, if it's not a great fizzle out, if they're still losing, but still them being together and finishing their careers together as a group. So, a couple of things went through the, my mind at that point. We said it was a little shocking at the time point, but they have been playing well lately. I guess they won like eight or nine out of their last 12 or, or 13 or so like that. So, uh, but said so just as a down year and the way that they've been playing is a little shocking, but said so the numbers are not shocking because that's what the, that's what the layout is. That's what the, that's what yeah. the blueprint is for the coaches nowadays as a head coach. That's won some championships that has a resume and you're going to have to pay those guys. 
Yeah, it's just incredible to me looking at those numbers considering the Spurs aren't going to uh, the playoffs this year, even though Greg Popovich is in charge of Victor Webinyama's development. So that's pretty darn important. Uh, mm-hmm. The Pistons aren't going to the playoffs this year. Obviously, the Heat are probably the only team in that mix that have a relative chance to make some noise in the playoffs. And we'll talk about the Heat in just a moment. But want to get to one more topic uh, before we get to break. Uh, the, uh, the, the Rookie of the Year race has gotten a bit interesting or at the same time maybe become a foregone conclusion. I think, Danny, at the beginning of the year, I think everybody thought Victor Rebanyama was going to win it. But nobody predicted that the Oklahoma City Thunder would be as good as they are. And Chet Holmgren pretty much being, at the very least, the third best player on that team. So now, Mm -hmm. with with Chet Holmgren playing at a high level uh, on both sides of the ball and the Thunder being a two-seed, Chet Holmgren became, or the one-seed, Chet Holmgren became the favorite rookie of the year. And then Victor Webanyama exploded. All of these uh, astronomical numbers having that 5-5-5-5 game. (laughs) It was just ridiculous. I mean, as LeBron said, he's an alien. And he's been performing Mm. like one. Something we've never, ever, ever, ever seen. Um, If you were to have a Rookie of the Year vote, who would you give it to? Victor Webanyama or Chet Holmgren? This one's a tough one, man, because I think Victor has definitely done enough and put up the numbers. But for me, it's always got to be the winning has to come into play. And nobody predicted. I mean, we all kind of predicted Chet because it's hard to bet against a rookie who has had a year under his belt in the NBA mm-hmm. with you know veteran guys and seeing it and traveling. So he has an advantage and he's been around, even though he got a chance to play in it. But he still had a year, just like the whole Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell thing. Like there's always an advantage for a guy that has you know the second year under his belt. I think Blake Griffin also had a, a, an opportunity yep. to sit out a year before he played. Um, but nobody could guess that OKC would be a top two team in the West or a top five team in the league. And the fact that they're doing it, I said, Shay, they might vote MVP this year. And having him, you know, right right behind him, behind Jalen Williams, is those three guys kind of leading the way for them. He deserves rookie of the year, man, with how he's been helping that group win and be in the top of the West. Yeah, I, I understand the sentiment. But for me, rookie, I don't, for me, rookie of the year. Doesn't you don't have to factor in the record as much rookie of the year. I understand it for most valuable player, obviously for award like coach of the year, obviously for award like six man of the year. I think the record matters, but rookie of the year is literally, in my opinion, who is the best rookie? Doesn't matter what form, what you do it, who you do it for, who is mm-hmm. the best performing rookie? And the stats would say, and if you put them head to head, Victor Webinyama is the better player, even though again, that is no shade to Chet Home because he is a heck of a player. So for mm-hmm. me. And and also, too, if you just want to have some balance, because Mark Dagnall, the head coach of the OKC, he could win coach of the year. Shea mm-hmm. Gilgis-Alexander could be play MVP. Do you want Ted Holcomb to win? Does OKC deserve three postseason awards? I, I'm tired of if guys If guys deserve it, I'm okay with it. The last time they did it was, uh, what, in Philly when they had Allen Iverson and Dikembe Mutombo. Yeah, I think. And they had a six-man year, too. That. Was it six-man they had a bunch of guys on one team. It, it is weird to have all those awards on one team, but if they deserve it, man, rightfully so. Give that man MVP. They had the best season. These these people deserve it. Shea deserves MVP. Uh, they could be, you know, maybe not the head coach of the year. You know, I wouldn't go that far, but you can have two two awards on one team, and it could be rookie of the year and it could be MVP for sure. Now, coach of the year can't be four. So, coach. I really had, yeah, Aaron McKee, six man of the year, and they had Allen Iverson, I think, MVP. And I think that Kenby Matumbo had defensive player of the year, I think, as well. I don't know if 
Larry Brown got coach of the year, or I don't know who was coaching at that time. Um, but I, I got to go back. I got to go back in the annals and look at that. But, but yes, that's they shouldn't have four, but two can definitely happen. So pick your two, and I think for sure the players, because I mean, obviously coaching deserves some too. But I think there's other coaches out there that have done well as well. Yeah, Larry Brown Larry was Brown coach of the year. Coach of Aaron year. McKee was sixth man of the year, and then Allen Iverson MVP. I mean, bro, we can't come and on, man. The there's more the than this more. Dude, there's more than the one great team in the NBA. There's more than one sure. team that deserves an award. For that fact alone, for that fact alone, I'm giving Wemby the Rookie of the Year. On top of the mm-hmm. other things that he actually does in the court. But come on, man. We can't be hogging all those. But we know this, though. We know Shea, it's his first year. You have to get a year where you get snubbed. He's not going to get MVP. So you got to give it Rookie of the Year. Because I don't think Matombo's defensive player of the year. They had an That's unbelievable nuts. run. Phil. No, they, so. can't, they, can't have, they can't have it all, dog. They can't so. have it all. Philly swept the awards. That's the last time I think it happened. But yeah, we can have two. And I think I said rookie of the year and coach of the year. I think Shea gets snubbed. And they end up giving it to Jokic, uh, Giannis, or Luca. You know what I'm saying? So I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be okay. I would be okay with Luca, Jokic. More. I want to see a new MVP. So Luca. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be okay with that. They get up to the top four, top three. I'll give it to Luca. But rookie of the year. Said somebody. They had to get an award for a player there. And okay. I tell you this right now, Danny, and we can have this debate for another show. If Jokic ends up winning MVP again and then wins in the finals again, yeah. he's already gonna surpass Durant and at the very least match Steph for all-time GOAT status. That's how yeah. real it's becoming. I, it's, I don't want to have this big goat debate, but yeah, I like I mean I like goats of the era, man. So he's one of the goats of the his era for sure. Oh, Oh you know, yeah, I mean he's he would man. easily. I mean, if he wins a MVP and a Finals MVP again, he's a, in mm-hmm. my opinion he's already top ten player of all time. Yeah, sounds crazy to say, but that yeah. would be what four MVPs or three MVPs, two Finals MVPs. Yeah, yeah, that, that'd be kind of crazy. Yeah, that'd be kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah all right, well, well, yeah, well, yeah, we'll save we'll save that discussion for a little bit later. When we come back, it's time to break down the Eastern Conference. It is going to be a hectic playoff season. We break it all down next, right here on Inside the Green Room. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. All right, welcome back. Inside the Green Room, Harrison Sanford, Danny Green. You guys already know the vibes. Make sure you find us on Instagram at Inside Green Room, on Twitter chill, at chill. Green Room Inside. And, of course, if you're not watching this on YouTube, well, the show is also available on YouTube. If you're watching it on YouTube, well, the show is available wherever you get your podcast. So find us. We're all the way out there. Uh, make sure you tap in with us as we are now part of the Odyssey Podcast Network. All right. With sure. that being said, want to talk about the Eastern Conference with you guys for a little bit. What we saw on Wednesday or Tuesday night, rather yet, was something spectacular. Max Struess with the long-range jumper to beat hmm. the, uh, the Dallas Mavericks as the Cleveland Cavaliers remain in the two-seed in the Eastern Conference. I want to talk about the Cavs for a little bit and overall try and break down the Eastern Conference in general. As it stands right now with the Cleveland Cavaliers, Danny, I'm going to point out a couple of things that are a little bit different with this team versus last year. Hmm. Last year, 31% of their points came from the three-point line. This year, 35% of their points are coming from the three-point line. Max Struess averaging seven three-point attempts per game. 
uh, George Niang getting up five threes a game. Isaac Okoro, which obviously you know well because you played with him last year, who got sat at times during the playoffs, is only taking three attempts a game from the three-point line, but he's shooting 39% from the field. These type of things lead me to believe that this Cavalier team, Danny, has a better chance at succeeding in the playoffs than they did last year. What are your thoughts on how they've changed or uh, yeah, how they've upgraded or delineated from what they were doing last year in terms of their offensive production? Uh, I, I said it all comes down to coaching for me in the playoffs. You know the game slows down. There's their first time there with that coaching staff, so they have a little bit more experience. I don't think they're real contenders yet. I don't think they have it yet. I think they need more experience, but it all depends on their matchup. You know, obviously they've gotten better, but so have other teams in the East. You know what I'm saying? So whoever their first-round matchup is, if it's a lower-seeded team, then, yeah, they have a chance of getting out of the first round and being better. But they match up with a team like the Knicks, the Bucks, or Philly, I don't see them getting out of the first round because Philly could necessarily be their first-round matchup. If they're a three-seed and Philly is a six-seed, um, or it could be Miami for all you know, what I'm saying you never know who it is at that time. That's not the matchup they want. You know, they could be their better team, but that doesn't mean the other team that they're playing against is not better as well or better coached. So it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to come down to obviously the players have gotten better. They, I mean, they got more mature. They've added some pieces, but it's going to come down to see how well the coaching staff adjusts. And there ain't no slouches out there in the East. No, uh, the teams not at that all. they're playing against. Even you say like a Indiana, say if they even sneak in somehow and they got to play, you know, Rick Carlisle ain't no slouch coach to, to coach against in the playoffs, um, which I don't think they it will do that. They're a little far out right now, but um, anything is possible. There's still 15 games left. Any injury could happen. Get, teams could jump in that playing game. If they still end up in a two seed and have to play a seven seed, which could be instead of Miami or something like that, that's going to be a tough matchup for them. Yeah, for sure. And it could be the 76ers with Joel Embiid back in the lineup, and that's obviously not a seven seed if Joel Embiid is healthy. Uh, with that being said, yeah, it all for me, it all comes down to for the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, they are one of those teams who are not in, in a, uh, uh, they're in a position that I would hate to be in as a franchise and organization. My best five players for offense are not my best five players for defense. And I'm specifically saying that because Evan Mobley, as it currently stands, isn't even attempting one three-pointer a game. And if you are intent on playing Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, what does that do to your spacing? Yes, having Max Struess has helped them this year, but it's still very difficult in this NBA to have two bigs who are not stretching the floor. It condenses the court, and we saw what happened with the Knicks last year. It, the court was very condensed, uh, and it made life very difficult for Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. So it's going to be up to, I, I agree with you. It's going to be up to the coaching staff to mix and match at the appropriate times in order to maximize uh, what they have going on. A team that has the perfect blend, in my opinion, Danny, of your best offensive players or your best defensive players they can space the floor is the Boston Celtics. Every single guy in that starting lineup and in their top six can hit a three and also defend. And that makes them a very difficult team to play uh, in the playoffs as long as their shot profile doesn't go too out of skew. With that being said, Danny, you can name one and only one team that has the best chance of upsetting the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference, who is it? Uh, for me, it's your New York Knicks, H. Um, they're the only team that I see that match up best with the Boston Celtics when healthy. If they get Julius Randle back, they need him back sooner because they need those guys getting rhythm. But OG Ananobi, you got the bigger guards, you got the scoring with, with Boyan, you got Alec Burks off the bench, Josh Hart, 
You got enough wings to guard Jalen and Jason. And Dante's been shooting the pill, boy. Dante's been playing well. They have they have a really good group, man, of of, of mix of everything. But most importantly, is that they have more depth than Boston. And Boston, I think, is what they lack. You said top six. Outside of that, who do you have? You might have you have Cornette off the bench, a solid big. You have Pritchard, Hauser. There's not a bunch of you know what I'm saying. There's not a bunch of depth defensively anyway. Um, so that, that's where they're lacking. But the Knicks can have guys that can switch off and guard Jalen and Jason, give them some toughness. You have OG. You said Josh Harder named those guys, but off the bench. Alec Burks, Bojan, Bogdanovich. I don't know if he's coming off the bench or starting or not. Josh Hart. You, you have a mixture of guys. Dante DiVincenzo. You have so many guys that can score, play different roles, and defensively make up for it. Now, Mitch Robinson coming back helps him a ton. Hartenstein. Those are guys that are going to be a big factor in, in playing against a team like Boston. Yeah, Precious Achua has been good as well. I think the one advantage uh, the Boston Celtics would have in that series, depending on when it happened, is they might come in with the rest advantage because as a one seed, they might have an easier competition than if, let's say, the Knicks are the four or the five seed and they get to the second round because that first round series, it could very well be against a team like uh, the Miami Heat. And even if they get out of that series, that's not going to be – nobody expects that one to be easy, never, against the Miami Heat. And that's actually my pick, Danny. The team with the best chance of upsetting the Boston Celtics is the Miami Heat. I don't know if you've been mm. watching them recently, but they back on it again. Bam Adebayo has been hooping. Jimmy Butler has come uh, – I, I assume he's going to perform like he normally does in the playoffs. Uh, Terry Rozier, who's got injured and soon pretty much got over there, is now back in the lineup as well. And then this – this the Heat did it again, Danny. This Jaime Haquez Jr., boy. Oh, my gosh. I can't – he's just – he just plug and play, fits right into the system, knows what he's doing. I mean, they, they, and then obviously Spostra in a seven-game yeah. series is the one coach it feels like you do not want to coach against. I think the Miami Heat are back exactly in that same type of mindset where they were last year where they can go all the way to the finals. And then this year, they're actually performing better in the standing, so they don't might they might not have to come from the play-in range because you have teams like the Philadelphia 76ers who don't have Joel Embiid, at least right now. And then you also have Danny Quiet is kept. The Indiana Pacers haven't been hooping like they were hooping in the beginning of the year. Now, this 100%. Buddy Heel trade, I mean, the, the, the deal to get Pascal Siakam was celebrated, and I still think it's a good move. But coincidentally, they also traded away Buddy Heald at the trading deadline and you would know as a shooter, some of these shooters are almost quintessential to your offense. And I think they have lost something, Danny, with their offense by trading away Buddy Heald. Not because but not because they still can't shoot, because they, they have three-point shooters. But Buddy mm-hmm. Heald was the one player on that roster that could run around the court, stop on a dime, raise, and shoot. He's a movement shooter. And as you see with like a guy like Duncan Robinson, movement shooters – can truly help create more offense. And I think the Pacers are missing that. I don't think they recognize how much they would lose by trading away Buddy Heald. True, but I think they also made a good trade with getting Doug McDermott back. Um, he That's is true. very similar. He can shoot the ball. He can get off the move and shoot. Um, I think their pace is a little different. I think it's also Tyrese Hallenburn's been in and out, you know, up and down, and also adjusting to Pascal. He's not playing at the same level as he was at the beginning of the season. Tyrese Hallenburn has kind of quieted down a little bit. You know, he's still playing – Great. He's a great player, but he's not playing an unbelievable pace or an unbelievable stat line that he's playing in the in-season tournament. The numbers he was putting up early in the year were unbelievable. You know, 20 assists, 30-point games, triple doubles. He was doing a little bit of everything. And now that Pascal's there, it's taking them some time, the chemistry-wise, to figure it out. They're all kind of being passive, playing around each other and trying to figure each other out. 
So I think that's an adjustment for him, uh, with Halliburton, and also for Pascal. So they're just still figuring out. They do have the pace, but it's like they, they kind of quieted down. And maybe they exerted too much energy in the end season tournament where, you know, and said so some of the injuries have hurt them in terms of keeping their keeping their chemistry or getting it back. But I said, I, Buddy Hill does hurt you, but I said I did like the replacement with Doug McDermott, even though he's not going to fill the shoes necessarily of Buddy, but, you know, he's pretty close. You know, if you're looking for somebody to kind of replace that role, he's a guy that can kind of fill, fill that void a little bit. Yes, indeed. It is uh, going to be a fun Eastern Conference. And I think, honestly, Danny, if you're in the Eastern Conference and you win one playoff series, you should pretty much consider it an accomplishment, unless you're the Boston <laughs> Celtics or the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks. That's how to, yeah. Those two teams, if they don't the, the Celtics should be disappointed if they don't make it to the finals. The Bucs should be disappointed if they don't, at the very least, make it a competitive Eastern Conference Finals. Every other team, you win a series, congratulations. It's tough mm-hmm. out there. I'm excited to see it, and I'm, especially if Joel B comes back as well. Uh, it's going to be a tussle. Looking forward to breaking it down right here on Inside the Green Room as the race, as the race to the playoff uh, continues on in the NBA. You guys know what to do. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you get your podcasts, all that good stuff. Read, rate, subscribe with you. Yes, indeed. We'll see you on Tuesday, guys. See you then.